We're at the end of week 10, NFL in the books. We get a mid-season report from the Birdman. We hope you stick around for that, but we're gonna start off with the report from our insider from the evil empire. It is Downtown Sports. I am the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the beast of the East, Jonathan Periense. This is Downtown Sports. This is where sports come home. We start with the New York Yankees, our first goal of our hat trick edition today. And I'm gonna hand it off to Jonathan Periente because we've got a special guest who's gonna explain to us the Yankee response to the Death Star being blown up, the appearance of Luke Skywalker on the scene of the baseball universe. Beast, take Thank it away. You. Thank you, John. As the Mets introduced formally their new owner, Steve Cohen, last week in a press conference, we got to learn where the Mets are going to be heading and how they're going to approach free agency. Now we got to hear from the Yankee side and how are they going to respond to the new edition now with Steve Cohen running the ship in New York. Joining us is MLB.com insider for the New York Yankees. We are pleased to welcome him back for a second time. Brian Hoke joins us on Downtown Sports. Brian, thank you for taking some time to join us. How are you doing? I'm doing great, John and John. How are you? Thank you for having me back. Always a pleasure. So let's, uh, so Brian, let's dive right into the Yankees. And uh, it's very interesting. We heard what Steve Cohen had to say. I'm sure the Yankees, all folks in Yankee land were listening in. As the Yankees are now approaching free agency, Brian Cashman has a lot of moves to make, and he's really under a hot seat, I think, this year. What are some rumblings you're hearing from inside Yankees land uh, as far as free agency and and what moves they're, they're looking to make? I'm not sure if they have a lot of moves to make, to be honest with you. I think that uh, they believe that that was a good enough team to win the World Series. They didn't get it done. Uh, they were clearly outplayed by Tampa Bay. But I think that the first priority is re-signing DJ LeMahieu. I think uh, if you don't bring him back, it's hard for me to see how uh, they're a better team without him. I mean, it's the most valuable player on their team the last two years. So I, that would be my first move if I'm Brian Cashman. After that, you can think about maybe Masahiro Tanaka comes back. That starting rotation looks pretty thin to me. Uh, you know, if you had to start the season right now, you'd probably have uh, Jordan Gum as your number two starter. I think that that's pretty thin. You can upgrade over that. I don't see them going after someone like a Trevor Bauer. I don't see them in that mix. So uh, if there's another tier of guys they can go after below that, maybe they can come up with some creative trades. But I think Al Steinbrenner is going to be pretty clear about trying to get payroll below 210 uh, so they get some luxury tax relief. I know we've heard this before. I think that's going to happen considering the financial straits of this weird pandemic season. But you know, mission number one, uh, important thing is they got to get LeMahieu done can't let him go somewhere else. And after that, then they kind of move on to plan B, C, D. I'm not necessarily 100% sure that is where the Yankees seem to be going. I hear talk about trade for Lindor. You then get Lindor, you keep Glaber at second, LeMahieu becomes expendable because you got Ford and Voigt for uh, first base and got Urshel at third. Then there becomes no spot for LeMahieu. Do you see the Yankees actually re-signing him, or do you see them maybe trading some pieces to get Lindor in here because he's younger, faster, X, Y, Z, all the other reasons that you would put a Lindor at short and keep Glaber at second? Well, let me ask you, yes, in a perfect world, sure. It'd be great to add Francisco Lindor. Let me ask you this. What are you giving up to get him? Because the Indians are not going to give him way cheap. So what do you want to give up for Francisco Lindor? It's going to be a lot. You know, um, do you want to give up? 
two or three of your top prospects for that guy who you're really just getting for one year and then you're going to have to re-sign him to a, to a big deal. Uh, and he's making more than $20 million, I believe. I, I don't see that happening. I don't see Lindor coming to the Yankees. I, I think that you could, sure. You they, they have the pieces that they could do it, but I think uh, the smarter move on their part would just be to sign LeMayhew because then you don't have to give up the player talent in return. I completely agree with you on that. I was just – my concern was – Brian Cashman doesn't want to give him that fifth year in the deal. A fifth year for who? LeMahieu. Sorry. For DJ. I, I haven't heard anything about a five-year deal for LeMahieu. I, I think you're probably looking at three with an option for four. Talking with Brian Hoke, Yankees insider for MLB.com. And another piece that the Yankees are also going to look at a little bit, I think will be pitching. Trevor Bauer's name has been really circulating on the market. Uh, Yanks are a team really looking to maybe try to add another starter. You don't know about Tanaka if he's coming back. Have you heard rumblings about the Yankees maybe going after Trevor Bauer, possibly a guy that can benefit Garrett Cole? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, it'd be great to add a guy like that if you could. You know, I, I think that the financial parts are really going to play a part in this Yankee winter, and I don't see the Yankees doing a whole lot this winter. I really don't. I think that they're going to go back with very much the same team that they had in 2020 if they could, and, uh, you know, maybe they make some smaller upgrades here and there, but I think they're going to let Bauer go elsewhere. Uh, I don't see them getting in that mix. Uh, you know, Bauer talked for a little while about wanting to get a one-year contract. Yeah, they would probably do a one-year contract, but now I feel like he's backed off of that. He knows that uh, there's more out there for him. And, um, yeah, I, you know, Bauer and Cole, it's the old UCLA one-two punch. Uh, yeah, it'd be great to have those two, but I think uh, you'll be seeing Trevor Bauer somewhere else next year. I think you're going to see him on the Mets, but uh, that, that's just my opinion. But to follow up with that, the Yankees do have a lot of pitching coming back off of injury. Luis Severino, Domingo Herman coming back from suspension. You then add Loisica, Montgomery, if they do re-sign Tanaka to the mix. Where do you see this rotation going? How do you see it looking next year? Who's on it? Who's in? Who's out? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, if you wind up bringing back Tanaka, it looks a little more solid, I think. Right now, you, you've got a great start with Garrett Cole, but you need more than that. I think they proved that this year. Uh, they didn't get the postseason starts they needed from Tanaka, who has been such a reliable postseason performer for them. Um, so you could do a lot worse than bringing back Tanaka. But I wonder if they can also do better in some ways because the guys that you have coming up, uh, you're not going to get Severino back until probably June or July. Herman actually looked pretty good in winter ball for a guy who hasn't pitched competitively in, in more than a year. So maybe you can count on him for some. I, I just think that going in, saying you're intending to win a world championship with Jordan Montgomery as your number two starter, that, that's tough for me to take. So, um, look, this is not a perfect roster top to bottom by any means. Um, it definitely needs some work, but it might not need as much work as some people are saying. I've read a lot of people online want tear it down, complete overhaul, trade everybody and start over. I don't think they're in that rebuilding phase right now. I think uh, they, they've got enough pieces where we were talking about this team being a favorite in the, in the American League East going into last year. They finished second. Uh, Tampa Bay proved they're on the field. They, they, they beat them in the regular season. They did it again in the postseason. But I don't know if I believe that the Yankees are as far off as some people want to paint it to be. Uh, you know, I think that playoff series against Tampa Bay could have gone the other way just as easily. Uh, game five came right down to the last inning pretty much. And, uh, you know, if the Yankees got two or three runs in that game, it's a completely different story. Part of what turned that series around, and this is something I'm sure the, Yan the Yankee fans are going to continue to maybe scratch their heads over, was taking out Davey Garcia when they did after just one inning. What is the um, future right now with the Yanks with Davey Garcia? 
it seems like they've found another diamond as far as maybe a future pitcher is concerned. Garcia looked really good in the shortened 60-game season, looks really impressive. Could he maybe play a role in the Yankees' rotation should Montgomery not make it, maybe if Severino takes a while when he comes back? What are your thoughts about the future of Davey Garcia? Yeah, I, I think we got to see Davey Garcia at the big league level earlier than was expected. You know, if you had a normal 162-game season, you probably wouldn't have seen him or maybe you would have seen him as a September call-up. But he got six big league starts. He got to make that postseason start that we talked about. Um, you know, I wish that had gone a little longer. I think that would have been the better way to go there. But hindsight is 2020, and, um, you know, 2020, there it is again. So um, <laughs> I, I think that, you know, he's got a world of future ahead, a bright future ahead of him. He's got a world of talent. Um, he really impressed me with his poise, his maturity. Uh, it's hard to believe that that kid is just 21 years old because he carries himself uh, like he's been around the block and he's much more uh, sure than that. So, no, I think that they're they're looking at him as a potential back-end guy in the rotation to start next year. And maybe, you know, if there's a normal minor league season, he starts at AAA and comes up to help the team. But you're going to see a lot of Davey Garcia, I think, at the major league level uh, very soon. He, he probably got a sneak peek ahead of where we would have otherwise, but that's kind of a good thing. It, it got his feet wet and um, now he, he knows what it's all about. So the next step will be having him come up and pitch in games with fans in the stands. That'll be different for him, I think. But this was, a, you know, all things considered, a great way to get your feet wet and, um, you know, face some the best hitters in the world. Absolutely. All right, so answer this question for me, Brian. Gary Sanchez is the starting catcher of the New York Yankees in 2021, yes or no? You know, I, I go back and forth on this. I, I don't know if I can give you a yes or no. Because, look, they played their most important games of the year, and Gary was on the bench for five out of seven of them. That speaks volumes to me. And, you know, I, I don't sense that the Yankees want to give up on Gary. This is a guy that they uh, signed when he was 16 years old back in 2009. They've really brought him up um, – you know, they've invested so much time and money into him. This is a guy who, you know, we were talking about as a rookie of the year candidate. We were talking about as a – he's been a two-time All-Star. He's the fastest hitter in American League history to get to 100 homers. There's a lot of good things I can say about Gary Sanchez, but not many of them came in 2020. And so, uh, you know, it's how much do we buy into the idea that that was Gary Sanchez and maybe we throw out some of the old stuff. I don't think we want to do that. Um, you know, I do wonder what this year would have looked like if it was uninterrupted, because when he was in spring training, the defense looked like it was coming along, the hitting was there, and then he took the four months off, and, um, you know, it just didn't come back. And I, I, that was not uncommon around the majors. There were other guys who couldn't get it all together. So that's, a, that's to me, that's probably the Yankees' biggest decision of the offseason, because you're looking at Gary's going to get a raise, believe it or not, off that year. He's arbitration eligible. He's two years from free agency. So you're at the point here where you got to kind of make a decision. Like, is this your guy or not? You can't DH him because Giancarlo Stanton's going to DH. And let's be honest, you know, you'll live with the defense if the hitting is there. They had Jorge Posada for a long time, and he was not a gold glove catcher. He was never going to win a gold glove, but he hit. And so if Gary can hit, you'll, you'll deal with it. But if he's not hitting, then there's not a whole lot of reason to keep him, you know? Yep. There's another prospect uh, roughly around the same age that Sanchez was when the Yankees discovered him. He's 16 years old, Jason Dominguez. I've been hearing a lot about him, the Martian, as they nickname him. A guy that's also known for incredible bat speed. Could we, down the road, obviously it's a little early for him, but 
What are some things you're hearing about Dominguez and the type of hitter maybe he could become one day? I, I just hear he's a monster. And that's one of the you – know, I wish that we had had the full spring training because he probably would have come over and gotten that batting practice group with Judge and Stanton. I, I still haven't seen him in person. I've just seen the videos as everybody else has. And, um, you know, I, I really want to see this kid hit because he is a specimen. It's like an NFL linebacker out there. I mean, he's a big, built guy. He's fast. I mean, he maybe – you know what? I, I take back linebacker. He could be an NFL tight end. Like, he's got that kind of body. And so, I mean, we're talking about a specimen. You know, there's a reason that they sank all that money into him. You're putting all your chips in one basket, but they thought uh, that was the best investment they could make for that offseason. And, you know, everything we've seen so far, like, he looks great taking batting practice. So, you need to see him in some game competition here. And uh, But, uh, you know, everything you hear – is that Jason Dominguez is going to be a name that you need to know if you're a Yankee fan, if you're around New York, you're going to be seeing this guy. You know, it could be two or three years down the line, but he's going to move fast, I think, as long as he can stay healthy. That kind of talent, it's going to, it's going to move him up. And, you know, the, when you talk to people who have seen him, the comparison you hear is Mike Trout. And it's like, okay, you know, if they've got a 16-year-old Mike Trout, I'll wait on that if I'm the Yankees, and maybe you plug him into center field for the next decade. Great thing is he's only 16, so he's going to get better with age. That's the scary thing about it. As long as he stays healthy, knock on wood, and you, you really hope that those supreme talents can uh, can stay healthy. That's that's the big unknown, I guess. But as far as what I've seen, his, his skill level, he's so advanced for where he is. I, if I'm the Yankees, I want to move him as fast as I can. I, I want him to – I don't want to stall him out in A-ball for a year and a half. Like, let's, uh, let's, let's challenge him because if he is the real deal – um, don't hold him back, I think. Talking with Brian Hoke with MLB.com Insider for the New York Yankees. And we'll get you out of here on this uh, last two-part question. First off, we'll move to the Mets real quick. First off, I want to know your thoughts on the Steve Cohen buying the Mets and the Mets uh, coming into prominence and finally actually appearing on the uh, Major League Baseball stage as a New York team. And what does that do for a person like Brian Cashman, who a lot of people would say has made a few mistakes that have been swept under the rug because of how bad the Wilpons have been or how bad the Mets have been. Now the spotlight is bright on Darth Vader, and we're waiting to see, will he bring his son to the Emperor? Because the Mets might win the back pages this year, but... Will Cashman still have a job if the Yankees don't win the actual games or game play or finish ahead of the Mets next season? I tell you, I will tell you this part. It is going to be a great battle. It's long overdue. Um, New York baseball is better when both teams are competitive, when both teams have a rivalry. And, you know, if you go back and look at the history of it, it's been a lot of times one team is up and one team is down. The Mets won the World Series in 86. The Yankees were in the middle of a playoff drought. You got in the 90s, they kind of synced up. They met in that World Series. And then the Mets immediately went in the toilet. The Yankees uh, got there a couple more times to the World Series, but didn't win another World Series until 09. Uh, you know, then the Mets went to the World Series in 15. So, I mean, it's been up and down. It's long overdue, I think. Uh, it's great for Mets fans. Um, they've been so handcuffed by the Wilpon ownership, and especially the Bernie Madoff thing. Uh, it's just been a hangover over the team. And I thought what Steve Cohen did was remarkable. Within his first, what, 12 hours of owning a team, he gutted the front office. And basically, it was like Fred and Jeff Wilpon were never there. And now it's a completely new start for them. There's no transition 
Clinton period. This is now the Steve Cohen Mets. He's got the deepest pockets in New York. Uh, the Steinbrenner family doesn't have that anymore. And this is a guy who is a diehard Met fan who talks about going to games at the Polo Grounds and Shea Stadium and being at Banner Day and, uh, you know, watching Bill Buckner, dr uh, the ball go through his legs. I mean, this is a guy who Mets fans should be pumped to have uh, Steve Cohen on their side. I think that that wound up being the right fit. Um, you know, we'll wait and see who he does hire as a general manager, but that, whoever that is, um, is going to have a great situation because if there's any trade or free agent signing, you can kick that upstairs to Steve Cohen and he's going to say, yeah, get him, go for it. There's going to be no debate back and forth. Whereas, uh, you know, as earlier in the show, we were talking about the Steinbrenner family took a lot of hits this year. They had to take out lines of credit and blah, blah, blah. I mean, they, having no fans in the stands was bad all around, but Steve Cohen didn't go through that. Now Steve Cohen's got a new toy to play with. He's never had a season where there were no fans in the stands. Everything starts new from him. So it's, it's such an exciting time. I think if you're a Mets fan, it's a great time if you're a New York baseball fan, because I think both teams are going to be good for a long period of time here. It's going to be a race to see which one wins the world series sooner. And I don't know if I would have said that, uh, at the start of last year, if, if we go back to spring training 2020, I, I don't think I was going to say it was going to be a race to see if the Yankees or Mets would win the World Series. Now, I, I say start them both at the starting line today, and uh, we'll see who gets there first. Brian Hoke, MLB.com insider for the New York Yankees. Should be a very fun offseason. I, I really look to see both the Yankees and Mets really now go at it. I want to see this Battle of New York. I can't wait till they match up in the Subway Series. I think now we're finally going to have a Subway Series people are going to get very, very excited about. Brian, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. We look forward to the offseason, and we'll see which teams, which of these two will make that first move, that big move. Yeah, you, so you got it. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the Yankees have the better team on paper right now, but the Mets are willing to spend, and I think whatever the Mets have at this moment is not exactly what they're going to have in April, and more importantly, I don't think it's what they're going to have in October. So it's going to be great. I hope fans are in the stands. I hope – you know, we got packed house of 50,000 people at Yankee Stadium or City Field, whatever it is. And, um, yeah, it should be great drama, and it should be a lot of fun to watch. Brian Hope, thank you so much for coming on to the show. When we come back, NFL Top 10, right after this. And we're back on Downtown Sports. I'm Jonathan Perriente, the Beast of the East, alongside my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. We want to thank our guest, Mr. Brian Hoke, MLB.com insider for the Yankees, for joining us in the first half. Before we dive into our NFL Top 10, uh, Mouth, where can our listeners hear us? They can hear us on 12. 12. 12. 12. 12 different platforms. That's Anchor. Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Overcast, CastBox, Bullhorn, and now our two newest podcast homes. That's podbay.fm and Listen Notes. Once again, podbay.fm and Listen Notes. So 12 different platforms, rants, interviews everything you need because we're downtown sports and we are where sports come home but we got 12 minutes 12 minutes only 12 minutes because Ian's going to be coming on in about 12 minutes 
<laughs> and we got to talk about the NFL with Ian. But in order to do that, we need to get you all prepared. So let's go through this top 10. Delivered to us by our statistician, Chris DeLarge, and his staff over at the downtown sports statistician office. Let's start the clock. And let's go through the top 10. And we're going to begin with our bottom team. And Chris definitely uh, changed this up. Number 10, the Buffalo Bills. Yeah. Very interestingly enough. They literally had that game. And threw it away. It was theirs. Arizona had it for them. All those penalties in the first half where Arizona was barely scoring. They were moving the ball like crazy, but they weren't scoring points. But, oh, Buffalo's defense gave it up at the end. That was bad. It just goes to show you, you play till the game's over. And Kyler Murray, he is a quarterback now that's proven. I will keep playing till the very last minute. I don't. Everybody care. called Cliff Kingsbury an idiot when they gave up on their draft pick to go draft Kyler Murray a year after they drafted very high to get another quarterback. Who's laughing now? Yep. Who's laughing now? Number nine, nine on our list. Number nine, the Las Vegas Raiders made it. They out. move up a spot. Okay. Good win. The Raiders are playing well. And now they have a very big matchup, Kansas City Sunday night football. You know what? Hopefully, we're trying to get in contact with some people from KC. See if we can get that done possibly for next week. Raiders beat them once. Maybe maybe not. Can they beat them again this time in Vegas? You know what, though? The fact that they beat them in Arrowhead the first time and the fact that the Raiders are playing well while the Chiefs are sort of coasting. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, maybe a changing of the guard in the AFC West, but the Raiders got to get it done. It's a big one. Number eight, the Indianapolis Colts have made it at number eight on our list. This is a new one. Six and three in the South. They just came off a big win over the Tennessee Titans, beating them 34-17. And, you know, we were laughing about that AFC South. We didn't think it was a very good division. All of a sudden now, here the Colts come. Titans have suddenly uh, – dropped a little bit. Ryan Tannehill looks like he's going back to his old days with Miami. Getting a little worried down in Tennessee if I was a Titans fan right now. Well, here's the thing. We all thought the AFC South sucked. We were wrong. It was just the Texans that stunk. So um, we got that wrong. Next. (laughs) Number seven, Seattle. Surprising to see them drop this low, but I'm not surprised either. Surprising to see Russell Wilson not play like an MVP for the past two games? Look, he I'm fell back down worried. to earth. I'm very about worried about Russell in a big way. I'm, I'm not. He's I'm had not. last three weeks, he's committed two turnovers, two interceptions, multiple fumbles all of a sudden. That's something Russell never did. He fumbled again last week, two interceptions, and didn't throw a touchdown. You know what? And, when your uh, defense – Metcalf, Metcalf uh, there was clear frustration on the face of DK Metcalf. When Russell could have thrown, he was open a cut quite a bunch of times against the Rams in that second half, and Wilson did not throw him the football. It's because the offensive line is not guarding for Russell Wilson as much as they used to. Also, Russell Wilson feels like he has to be Superman because the defense is playing so poor. And so, your running game's hurt, and you have no running game right now. So no O-line, no running game, and you expect Russell Wilson to be Superman, and then here's DJ Metcalf, DK Metcalf having a conniption looking at Russell Wilson like, why did you throw me the ball? Well, maybe because Russell Wilson had people on his back. Well, to also be fair, he was guarded heavily by Jalen Ramsey all game long. 
Jalen Ramsey just did not give him space. The same thing happened to Arizona. That was the only other game Metcalf did not factor into the game. Patrick Peterson covered him for the whole game. And very likely, Seattle's playing Arizona this coming Thursday. We could see more of that again. Now, of if course, Arizona Carson, beats the Seahawks, they oh. will win the, the NFC West. That, that was definitely something we were Rams not six, thinking at the beginning of the three. season. Uh, the Rams are 6-3 and three also. I would not sleep on the Rams either. I don't think the Rams are going to win this division. I don't think the Rams have enough, uh, have enough to win the division. Their defense you know, it's is actually, great. Arizona's defense is just as good. Jared Goff is the worst quarterback in the division. You know what I just realized about – oh, except for the – yeah, except for the 49ers. The whole NFC West is 6-3 and three for the top three teams. All three teams are 6-3. and three. It's a yep. three-way tie. It's a three-way tie. By the way, San Francisco keeps playing well, too. So um, They just got creamed by the Saints. They just got murdered by the Saints. Yeah, they lost to the Saints, but in that first half, they were still playing well, and they hurt Drew Brees. So, the same, so who really won that game, John? Yeah. Did the Saints really win that game, or did San Francisco win that game? Who, yeah. who got the bigger prize? But they're out of it. Anyway, number six, we mentioned the Rams. They're number six on our list. Yep. And it's no surprise. Again, though, you always worry about Jared Goff. He can have a great game, then he can have a crap game the next week. So the Rams, you really never know what you're going to get out of the Rams' offense. They live and die on that defense. The Rams' defense has to literally keep teams below 14 points a game, and that's just what they seem to be doing. They look like the team we saw go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, we'll see if they keep it up. Number five on our list, the Miami Dolphins. Yeah. Got to jump up for Miami. And, uh, you know, we didn't think we didn't think it was the right decision then, but – Tua has really, really taken off with Miami, and Miami seems to have taken off with Tua. And let me just tell you, this is what happens when reporters are not allowed access to practice because everybody who heard that decision come out was thinking to themselves, you got to be freaking nuts. Fitzpatrick is bringing this team along. They're within striking distance of the Bills. You know, they got some games coming up where they can win. And then they put in Tua. So what they did was they put Fitzpatrick in in the toughest part of their schedule and they let Tua watch. And now after watching and learning and getting basically a preseason where he had the clipboard for about six weeks or so, Tua was ready to start his career hitting the ground running. And now look at him. That's what it seemed to be. Brian Flores. I'm sorry if I thought you that I thought you were wrong. Well, Congratulations. Let's not forget Brian Flores is a Belichick product. He was under he trained under he was working for Belichick. So he How learned, many Belichick products have been successful so far in the NFL? Uh Matt Patricia <coughs> cough. No, Matt Patricia's four and five. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, Joe got, Judge. Uh, maybe Joe Judge, still a working He product. might win the NF he might win the NFC East. He might. Hey, we I've seen the more impossible things happen. I trust me. That actually is becoming more and more possible by the day, and I'm becoming more and more frightened because of it. We'll explain Perfect. that later. Number four on our top ten, Arizona Cardinals. No surprise. Yeah. Six and three in the NFC West. Now the number one seed. They have beaten everyone in their division at least once. Yep. And beating Buffalo was a real statement the other night. Yeah, and it was a statement. Kyler Murray it's stopping being statements and starting to become commonplace. Kyler Murray is looking like 
he could possibly maybe be better than Patrick Mahomes. Well, here's what really helped. Maybe. I, I don't know about If that. he would stop the pre-snap penalty. It's a little quick with Mahomes, but let me uh, – but I think it's very clear. DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona was one of the biggest additions they made, period. Every game that Arizona wins, Bill O'Brien should lose a night of sleep. He let Hopkins go. You let him go. For every game Arizona wins, Billy O'Brien should not be able to pee right for the day. Oh, my goodness. That is the curse of every Texan fan on Billy O'Brien. It's a very powerful team. They have a great secondary, Patrick Peterson, Buda Baker. You have Larry Fitzgerald, the ageless wonder. You still have DeAndre Hopkins. You have Kenyon Drake who could run the ball. You have Christian Kirk. Wow, could you imagine? Could you imagine, I don't know, drafting the quarterback when you have all the other pieces around to make them work? What a freaking concept. Other teams should try that. Suddenly Cliff Kingsbury could win coach of the year. Maybe even take this team deep in the playoffs. Who knows? And everybody was so happy that the Jets – at least didn't hire him. Well, look how that's working out now. Yep. Number three. Number three on our top ten, the New Orleans Saints. Well, they're number That's a now. bit ambitious. They're number three for now. Only they should now. not be number three. I'm sure Chris is trusting in the arm of Jameis Winston. I would hope so, but Jameis Winston is already uh, – we don't know what's going to happen. Breeze now is out with a collapsed lung and, and fractured ribs. I don't like Jameis Winston. I wish Jameis Winston the worst in life. I don't like him as a person or as a human being. But, however, he's going to provide you the deep ball that Breeze didn't. He's a little more mobile in the pocket than Breeze is. He can extend plays longer. Mm. Well, Let's see what happens. I look, Jameis Winston came from a system under Bruce Arians. The turnovers killed him there. Now, Sean Payton's a great offensive coach. No doubt about it. Sean Payton will bring the best out of him. I'm, he'll have talent around him. The question is, will Winston adapt to do what Breeze does? Or is, or is Winston going to be allowed to play the way he does and play that high-risk type of offense that he did with Tampa? That's going to be a very good question. Um, if Sean Payton has anything to say about it and Drew Brees has anything to say yeah. about it. We'll see. Number two on our list, the Kansas City Chiefs. No shock. They've been at number two for quite a little while now. Yep. Eight and one on the year. They will play the Raiders this week, which is a very good challenge for them. That's their only loss of the year was losing to Carr. And that might be their second loss of the year as well because Kansas City still has the same issues when they play as they did against the Raiders. City, Look, Kansas- they're coming off a bye week. They're coming off a bye, and they're going to be ready to go. They're coming off a bye, and they're going to have a week to have – that means Le'Veon Bell has had an extra week to incorporate himself in the offense and the coaching staff and Eric Bieniemy and Andy Reid have now had a chance to sit down and really work out schemes and plans with their new weapon. Well, let's see what Kansas City will bring coming off a bye. Let's see if they can keep that momentum going. Before the Raiders are going to have a much tougher time in this game than they did oh, the yeah. last. Oh, yeah. Before we reveal our top ten – have an honorable mention the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are in the honorable mention at seven and three I guess Chris put him there because of that bad loss to New Orleans which I'm not exactly shocked but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are still very dangerous and they are unless they run into the Saints 
Well, they run into the Saints. They're not dangerous. That's the problem. The Buccaneers have a very big matchup for Monday night. They're going to take on the Rams this Monday. And Tom Brady is going to get all of the hits that the Rams defense wished they could have given him before. That Tampa Bay O-line is not the O-line he played behind in New England. Different. Yeah, it's a different line. Absolutely different. And our number one, our final seed, and it's no surprise, Pittsburgh Steelers make the top ten at number one. No surprise at all. The Steelers just blew away Joe Burrow and his beloved Bengals, 36-10. to 10. Like I said, welcome to the NFL. And that defense looks like mid-2000s style Steeler defense. And Joe Burrow's going to have to see this Steeler D twice a year for however long he stays a Bengal. And he might have to see Big Ben twice a year for the next two or three years. Yeah. Maybe Joe Burrow ain't the starter in Cincinnati anymore if uh, Big Ben is still here. He's only a rookie. He's been good as a rookie, Burrow. You got to give the kid time. Well, here's the thing. How much time are we giving rookies nowadays? We'll end it on this, and we're going to ask Ian about this in the next segment. Oh, yeah. Birdman. Ian Eagle. Next segment. Definitely want to stick around for that. But Well, yeah. You know, question, you John, 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 how long are rookies lasting in the NFL as a plate? You know, depending on how they're brought in, it's maybe one or two years at least. One, two, three years. Um, imagine if Big Ben wins the division every single year and then constantly blows out Joe Burrow. What well, are fans in Cincinnati going to be saying about their number one pick then? Everybody's hoping, like, you see, this is the problem with the NFL today. It's a big problem. They're constantly now expecting these star rookies they draft out of school. They expect them to deliver immediately. Not all rookies deliver right off the bat. Okay, Big Ben was thrust into a spot. Let's go back to when Big Ben made his rookie year. 2004, Steelers were 1-1. One one. Tommy Maddox got hurt. In came Big Ben. They went 14-0 and the rest of the year before losing New England. Okay. You know, look, Big Ben came, carried the team. That was great stroke of – How about this? How about this? Here's a real old example of a team giving up on a quarterback too soon. The story of the current New Orleans Saints starter, Drew Brees. He was a first-round pick for the San Diego Chargers, and they drafted Phillip Rivers. Believed Phillip Rivers was a better quarterback than um, Drew Brees. And Brees started that first year, then Rivers came in. Brees goes to New Orleans and becomes a Super Bowl MVP under Sean Payton. A lot of times when teams give up on these rookie quarterbacks too soon, they go to their second team and become everything that you wanted them to be. I hope that doesn't happen with Sam Darnold and the Jets. Yeah, here's to me both. I mean, right now, and, uh, you know, I want to point out something because Todd Haley had some words for Adam Gase uh, not too long after uh, Le'Veon Bell was let go. Don't forget, it was Todd Haley who made Le'Veon Bell. Todd Haley made Le'Veon Bell the player he is now. Mm -hmm. The first thing he did was call out Adam Gase not too long after the Jets decided to let him go. And, yeah, basically was questioning how Gase was playing Bell. You know, he said, oh, in Pittsburgh, we did it like this. If I had D'Angelo Williams, he'd, he'd run this snap, and uh, I have Bell on another package here and there. The Steelers and, like, all other NFL teams, including with Kansas City, they take their time to utilize every player's strength. Do the Jets utilize every player's strength, John? They utilize no player's strengths, John. Yeah. Yeah. 
they always like to run it right down the middle, one or two snaps, and we try to throw it on third down, try to stuff it in. They utilize injuring their star players by keeping them out of the field for an extra play, and then you wonder why Le'Veon Bell wants out. And then you say, and then on his way out, you kick him in the ass and call him a malcontent. Oh. Really? Well, you kept him out there and you caused his injury in the first place. You did the same thing to Sam Darnold this year too. Well, Adam Gase, point blank, he will be out by the end of the year. No matter how you slice it, he's out by the end of the year. He's Are we sure? He's not going anywhere, at least for the bye week. They did not let him go during the bye week. You figured that would have been the best time to have cut ties with him. Because Adam Gaze might be the guy that's sitting there saying, hey, I didn't draft Sam Darnold. I don't know about this Sam Darnold kid. You know, yeah, I said I wanted to play. I was excited, but, you know, that's because I wanted a job. You know, I, I'm really excited about Trevor Lawrence. How do you know the Johnsons aren't going to turn around and just keep this fool for another year? Because they're, they're known for stupidity like this. Well, this is from, this is from Adam Schefter from last week. Said. Adam Gase will not be head coach next year for Adam Schefter. Sure. I believe it when I see it, kind of like I was waiting for the Wilpons to sign the paper. I'll believe it when I see it, or maybe I'll believe it when our next guest, Ian Eagle, the Birdman, tells us. Hopefully he will. Got a couple of questions for him about his opinions on Adam Gase, too. We look forward to that. Our interview with the Birdman will be coming up on the other side of this break. Back after this. And we're back to downtown sports on the mouth of the South. John Schiavone, along with my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Periente. We want to get right into part three of this hat trick. We need to get a mid-season NFL report. We also need to find out what's going on in the basketball world in Brooklyn. And for that, Beast has a special guest who's coming on our show for the third time since we've started this podcast. Beast, take it away. Thank you, John. Joining me right now, a very special guest here with us. And, oh, my goodness. If you're an NFL fan, you got to love what you've been seeing over the last number of weeks. We're pleased to welcome here today the TV voice of the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network. You can see him on Sundays for the NFL on CBS. Also can see him for college basketball, NCAA, March Madness. We are pleased to welcome the Birdman back. Ian Eagle joins us on Downtown Sports. Ian, thank you so much for taking some time to join us. Always a pleasure. How are you doing? A three-timer. I am a three-timer on Downtown Sports. Great to be with you guys. They say first is the worst, second is the best, third is the one with the hairy chest. So we're going to get right into the thick of it with you, Ian. Uh, You've seen my college photos, apparently. Thank you. Well, well, I I don't know what a hairy chest is. It's all on my hair and my face. So, (laughs) All right. So let's, um, Ian, let's dive right in. This has been a very interesting week. We're now at the 11th week of the NFL season, and you've gotten to see a lot of potential uh, contending teams over the last number of weeks, including the Bills-Cardinals game that you called this past Sunday. Talk to me about some of the games you have seen over the past number of weeks, and which teams for you up to this point now are beginning to separate themselves from the pack? You're beginning to see those contenders emerging. Yeah, in such a strange season, based on the circumstances, uh, based on how these teams are preparing, based on the social distancing, 
And let's face it, based on the fact that you don't have a full boat of fans in the stands, the ambiance is, is just not the same. I think the TV presentation has been so good that most NFL fans feel very comfortable every Sunday turning on the game. It feels like they're watching the sport that they've grown to love. When you're there in person, you recognize that it's not quite the same, that Arizona-Buffalo game that you just mentioned. If that ending takes place with 65,000 fans in attendance, it's a whole different vibe beyond the one that everybody experienced just watching it. So as you make your assessments on what these teams are, what they're going to be, what do we normally do this time of year? We talk about home field advantage, getting that number one seed, securing home field advantage throughout playoffs. To me, that is a non-story. Truly, it's a non-story. The idea of going into Kansas City or going into New Orleans and having to play with those rabid fans, it's not part of the equation anymore. So I think every team feels as if they're going to have a chance to go and win in the postseason if it's their day. So you take that out of it and you try to just look at teams specifically for who they've been this year. I still think Kansas City's the best team in the NFL. I think they've improved enough defensively. There are lapses, but they've improved enough defensively that you have to give them the proper respect of being the defending Super Bowl champions. And then after that, it's a whole lot of interesting stories. Pittsburgh's undefeated. I'm not convinced they've even played their best football yet offensively. Their running game has not been very good of late. They haven't had the big explosion plays that we've seen in past years, but we know they're capable of it, and their defense could be lights out. So Steelers have to get into that conversation. Baltimore, tough to figure out right now. Uh, offensively, they're going through some things, and Lamar Jackson is going through some things. MVP last year. This year, teams have figured him out a little bit. Uh, they are prepared for him. So that would be the first glance at the AFC. Buffalo would be in that next section of teams that you would talk about. And that was a bitter loss, but it shouldn't take away for what they've done through the first 10 games of the season as they hit their bye. NFC, man, uh, it, it is open season as far as I'm concerned over these last seven weeks, there still could be a team that we're not talking about that could emerge in the NFC. New Orleans has looked really good at times. Now the Drew Brees injury, you wonder how they're going to handle it. Tampa Bay has looked like world beaters at times. And then uh, we've seen a major drop-off for the Buccaneers, and they might have to deal with some new drama in regards to Antonio Brown. So I I can't tell you in the NFC who is going to be the team to beat because I don't think we've seen it yet, at least up until this stage, consistently enough. Well, Ian, just real quick, when you're talking about a lot of these teams, a team that really has caught my eye is the team that you watched play Buffalo on Sunday. Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury have went about proving absolutely everyone wrong about them because the one thing that I remember from the Arizona Cardinals was when they were looking to hire Cliff Kingsbury, how everybody was talking 
about how this was going to be the worst decision. Then when they're talking about drafting Kyler Murray, oh my God, we just drafted a quarterback the year before. What are these two doing? No one's laughing at them now, Ian. <laughs> Nobody is laughing at them now. And that one moment, of course, is going to live on forever in Arizona football history. But beyond that, think about the seeds that they've planted in the Glendale area with Kyler Murray, who is a special talent. This is not a one-trick pony. This is not something where, well, the league will just figure him out. No, 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 no. He is a legitimate dual threat. His speed is ridiculous. When you watch him run, and I got to see him in person for the first time, you see the differential, the, the differential level of him and everybody else on the field. And we're talking about major athletes in the NFL that can run at a high rate. This guy is at another level. And then throwing the football with confidence, touch the deep ball as it was exhibited on the final play of the game, all of it, blend it together. And this guy's really smart. He's analytical. The biggest key in talking to him, I asked him, point blank, year one to year two, what's been the difference? He said, year one, I was just trying to figure out what I needed to do. <laughs> That's all I could focus on, me, 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 me. Year two, I see the big picture. Pre-snap, post-snap, I understand what the defense is doing. I understand where my teammates are supposed to be. And that is a scary proposition for the rest of the NFC, that – it's going to get easier for him. You're Russell Wilson, who had incredible success right away. And I had a game of his very early in his rookie season. They played the New England Patriots, and they shocked the Pats. They won on a not a last-second touchdown, but you know, final minute of play touchdown. And it was an eye-opening moment for people around the league, like, whoa, is this, is this guy going to be, be doing this for the next 10 years? The answer is yes. And I will say the same thing about Kyler Murray. You're just not going to see a drop-off barring injury from his play. I just think he's going to keep getting better. Talking with Ian Eagle, he is one of the top analysts in the NFL, does Monday Night Football on the radio, does um, games every Sunday for CBS. The first time you came on our show, we asked you about Adam Gaze. This was way before the season started. We asked you about him, and I remember you saying that you liked him, that you were very um, into Adam Gaze, that you thought that this was a guy that could help take the Jets forward, thought that, you know, maybe he could, maybe some of the clashes personality-wise wasn't necessarily his fault. We now see what's gone on with Adam Gaze. Ian, what's gone so wrong with him? Everything. Uh, yeah. The has dropped out. Uh, this is now one of potentially uh, the epic type of failing seasons that you see occasionally in the NFL. Twice, teams have gone 0-16. Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns. The Jets certainly are in a position now to go 0-16. And I think there are a lot of Jet fans that wouldn't mind it, uh, that they need to hit rock bottom, that they need to to draft Trevor Lawrence. They need to get a new coaching staff. They need to get a new direction. All of that happens when you go 0-16. If they go 1-15, all of that will still happen. If they go 2-14, other than the Trevor Lawrence part of it, all of that will still happen. There's going to be major changes 
to this organization. Uh, unfortunately for Adam Gase, uh, he never really got out of the starting block. The whole key to Gase, and this is the point that we made when, when we last talked about it, Sam Darnold's development was going to determine whether or not Adam Gase was going to be here long term. Even in a four-win season, if you saw market improvement from Darnold, I think there might have been a faction within the organization, including ownership, that thought, we're going to stay on this path. We believe in the Gase-Darnold pairing. But because Darnold has not only not improved, but has gone backwards, it is devolving into something much worse. And now moving forward, I don't know about his confidence level. I don't know about his uh, comfort in this league at that position as a number one QB. Those questions are going to pop up again. Odds are it's not going to be with the Jets. It will probably be with a change of scenery. And maybe that's what's best for Sam Darnold right now, to get out and to try something new. Run. Yeah. Run away and never return. All of these factors are now part of it. Uh, For Adam, it's it's a shame. Uh, Such a promising career. and, And I really do think he's a good football guy. I believe that. I just think this turned into a terrible situation and he did nothing to make it better talking with Ian Eagle the television voice for NFL football on CBS you we've I took a look the last Monday night game the Jets had and right before their bye week and when their three receivers are healthy Mims Crowder Perriman and Mm -hmm. saw Flacco throwing the ball to them it made me think Wow, what if Trevor Lawrence was the one throwing the ball right now? It'd be so – it would be like night and day. You'd be but happy look, if it was Zach Wilson throwing the ball. But looking, at where the, um, but, um, looking at where the Jets could be heading, uh, Adam Schefter reported Adam Gase will not return next year. Mm-hmm. Jets had a chance at Eric Bieniemy to possibly be their next coach. Could someone like Eric Bieniemy maybe be the guy that maybe could bring Trevor Lawrence – that maybe the Jets will go after Trevor Lawrence? Right now they're Owen and nine right now, but to bring Trevor Lawrence here, maybe that could be the key that will get Lawrence to say, okay, a new coach, maybe we can do something here. Yeah, there are going to be conversations that are behind the scenes taking place leading up to the NFL draft, or at least the decision time for Trevor Lawrence to figure out whether or not he is completely on board, whether or not his people need to know the direction and the coach that is going to be hired, and maybe even his preference. Look, Harbaugh's name is going to come up. It has not worked out in Michigan. Uh, He's had a chance to recruit quarterbacks, and he hasn't found anybody to run his system, and anybody that will turn into a pro. That's the part that's amazing to me. It's one thing that, that Michigan football has been down. It's another that he hasn't recruited and developed a big-time QB that was going to go to the next level. Michigan was pumping out quarterbacks for many, many years. And this theory that Harbaugh would step in and take this program to new heights, or at least to the heights that they were accustomed to, was really based on the fact that he was going to get top-shelf quarterback play. And it just hasn't happened. How that affects the way teams view him in the pros now, it certainly is going to play a role. Uh, the enemy is going to have suitors 
and rightfully so. He's done an excellent job in Kansas City. Uh, with that said, Eric Bieniemy is going to still have to wow some owners and GMs that he is the leader that they're looking for and someone that can cultivate the talent, the QB position. And you can't get this one wrong. If you're Joe Douglas, this is it. This will be your shot. I know he has a long-term deal, but this hire will now have a cause and effect on how your career goes. So uh, they've got to be completely sure on the right coach, right personality. And if it is indeed Lawrence, you got to know that you have the right people in place to bring him along. And you're right. Watching that Monday night game, I did the game on radio with Ron Jaworski, and I was impressed by the Jets' three-receiver look. And again, you know, not to get back into the Gase thing, but he does have some terrible luck. <laughs> the, the injuries that they sustained this year, they were never at a point where they could see what they really had. And it's unfortunate for him. That's how it works in sports. You are what your record says you are, and we know what the record is. There's no, no more discussion that needs to take place. Talk with Ian Eagle. Just um, one last follow. How much do you make of the Trevor Lawrence comments of, I don't want to play for that whack-ass team or – the other stuff that was released in Bleacher. How much of that is real? How much of that is fiction, hearsay? I don't know. Truly. I don't know. Uh, my sense of it is you have a finite number of years to play in the NFL. Finite. With that said, Peyton Manning basically did it. Peyton Manning had a chance to leave after his junior year. It would have been the number one pick overall. It would have been the Jets. It was a time where they were going through transition and he chose to stay for a senior year and ended up in Indianapolis. Some would have said at that point, well, that's not much better, is it? It turned out to be better. Colts got stability. They got him offensive lineman. Uh, they had a good football man in place at that point to handle the, the personnel decisions and it all worked out. If you're Trevor Lawrence and you're his people and you have X number of years to be a pro, make money, make your mark, and if you have the confidence that I, I don't care where it is, there are some that would say, well, you could take over New York. Does that matter anymore? I think there was a time where it did. I don't know if that's as important to guys as it used to be. You can make a lot of money in any market. So, well, what about off-field? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that in Jacksonville. If you're a superstar, it will happen for you. So I think it's going to be a really interesting decision for Trevor Lawrence moving forward. It's not because he would go back and he enjoys the college experience so much. It would simply be because he just doesn't want to enter this pressure cooker. And I don't even mean New York. I just mean this team and this franchise – I think most would tell you, hey, you got to do it. You're going to be the number one overall pick. You have no idea injury-wise what can happen in your life, your senior year of college. What are you doing? Just, just, just go. But this is not a simple decision. And as far as the, uh, the Bleacher Report article that you mentioned, 
I don't know. I don't know if uh, that's just fodder or if there's some reality behind it. Speaking of uh, New York, I want to move over to the Giants. Uh, they've been playing better football over the past couple of weeks. Um, Ian, you've had two looks at Daniel Jones first when he faced Chicago back on week two and then a couple weeks ago against Tampa Bay. What have you noticed from the Giants over the past couple of weeks now? It seems like Jones starting to secure the ball better, at least when running yep. it. And he's not turned over the ball in the last two games. Yeah, pretty amazing. You don't turn over the ball. Good things happen. I know. Good things happen. Look, I don't want to be simplistic. Daniel Jones has ability. There's no doubt about it. The issues for the Giants are simply going to be whether or not this coaching staff determines that he's the guy. Because they have no ties to him. None other than working with him this year for the first time. They have no ties. He was drafted by Dave Gettleman. My sense is Dave Gettleman will not be there moving forward. There will be a new decision maker with the New York Giants. And at that point, you look at everything. Everything. And, you know, with the Jets, I I have to tell you, it's a similar situation. It will be a new coaching staff. I'll go one step further. Joe Douglas has no ties to Sam Darnold. He did not draft him. That was a previous regime. In my experience covering sports for all of these years, GMs will go to their grave to back why they made the decision that they made. Even if a hundred people line up and tell them you were wrong, they'll give you reasons as to why they were right. This is just how it works. GMs, it's, it's like they're children. It's hard to separate themselves from the players they drafted because it's their reputation. It was their preparation. A little piece of them is left behind in every draft. But once that decision maker is out of the equation, it's much easier for new people to separate themselves and to divorce themselves from the player. So with Daniel Jones, look, you're a Giant fan. You want to root for him. You want him to do well. You're still in this thing, amazingly enough, in the NFC East. Incredible. You would have won the Philadelphia game if Evan Engram catches the ball in the first Philly game. Yep. We're looking at a, a completely different division right now, potentially. But Joe Judge's team has played really hard. I think they're well coached. I think they're well schooled. Defensively, they are so much better than they were a year ago. Uh, That has been a massive improvement in my mind, being in the right spot, knowing what to do. Do they have the best players? They do not. If I'm a Giant fan, is there hope moving forward that you have a professional coaching staff in there that uh, now will develop talent? They will improve as the season goes on, as the years go by. That's a big key. Huge key. And I would feel good about it if I were a Giant fan. I'm not used to things like that. Things like hope and, uh, you know, players improving. I'm used to coaches. uh, I'm used to coaches benching Hall of Fame quarterbacks and starting quarterbacks that really should never have gotten another starting opportunity in this city. So this is all great news. But one more question about the Giants. If they were to win this fool's gold NFC East prize, and then let's say somehow they win a playoff game, does that save Dave Gettleman's job? It might. 
I mean, that's enough. Perception can, can change a lot of things. It might, it might be enough to, to do that. I, I don't know the dynamic between ownership and Gettleman. Yeah, Gettleman is uh, a pretty direct guy in his opinions and how he goes about his business. He has not necessarily been a friend of the media, so he is not getting a whole lot of uh, parachutes during this time from the local media. That often can shape opinion and shape the way you're viewed. But it's a great question. If, if they somehow miraculously got to the playoffs and won a game, they might stand pat and say, hey, this thing is going in the right direction. Or is it just fool's gold and, and you know, you've, you've got you to cut the umbilical cord and, and move on. My sense is the latter, that decisions have already been made that uh, they know for the sake of the organization, they're, they're probably going to have to make a change at that spot. Talking with Ian Eagle, the television voice for NFL football on CBS. I want to bring up, uh, Ian, this last little bit of the NFL here. A big four games this coming week for Week 11. The Seahawks, Cardinals, Kansas City Chiefs and the Raiders, the Rams and Bucks, and the Colts and Packers. All potential, potential preview games, division on the line perhaps. I want to get your thoughts on these four games and – who you have in these games this week? All right, let's go through them one by one. What was the first one? Seattle and Arizona. Whew. Control of the NFC West on the line. Arizona wins the first matchup. You know, Seattle is uh, licking their chops to, to get back at them. I've been shocked at how poor the Seahawks are defensively this year. Truly. Wilson's you know, Pete, worrying me a lot. Russell Wilson's been worrying me the last two weeks. Yeah. Uh, Pete Carroll teams normally are so good on that side of the ball. I like Arizona's momentum. With that said, they really had no right to win the game last week. You think about it. Uh, the catch made by Diggs on the other side, you think, well, that's it. That's it. Uh, it really did require the full Hale Murray for them to get it done. And the fact that DeAndre Hopkins is elite at everything that's necessary in that moment. Leaping, huge hands, and the intensity that it requires to handle that situation with defenders draped all over you and still win. So um, with all of that being said, I, I think Arizona just has a little juice right now. I think they have the juice. Fair. I think it's very fair. Quick that question was the first Hail Mary that Kyle Murray threw all year, by the way. That was the first Hail Mary Kyle Murray's ever thrown in his career. Quick question about Arizona, though. The pre-snap penalties, especially in the first half of that game uh, that they played against Buffalo, were really, really not that good. And uh, if, uh, if they make these penalties against Seattle, do you think they have a chance or do they, or must they play mistake-free football to get past Russell Wilson? Yeah, my, my concerns with Arizona are very much tied to that theme. Are they ready for prime time? Are they ready for – the kind of performance that it requires to win a game like this with a very motivated Seattle team. And the fact that, yes, it's, it's still a work in progress. Kingsbury himself called it that. So they should have pro they should have won the Miami game. It's a game they should have won and probably should have lost the Buffalo game. So 
if you look at it and say, well, it all evens out in the wash, the reality is, is this. At some point, they have to be more consistent, and they do have to cut down on those mistakes. Top three in penalties this year, uh, that's going to bite them in the you-know-what uh, when, when this thing is all said and done. All right, the next matchup, the battle of the AFC West, Kansas City Raiders. Chiefs, the only loss of their whole season came to the Raiders at Arrowhead. Mm -hmm. Gruden versus Andy Reid. Yeah, great. Great storylines. Las Vegas has definitely improved, better team than they were. I think Gruden has brought a certain mentality to that team that's permeated around the locker room, and that's why they brought him there for just that. I think Kansas City is too good, and I think Kansas City's memory is probably not sitting well with them. And although they have not cruised through the competition, there, there have been some bumps along the way for the Chiefs as well. They have found themselves in some tighter situations than you would expect. I think, I think they take care of business on the road. Okay. Next the third a, game is we got the Bucs. The Super Bowl. Yep, we got the Bucks and the Rams. Well, it's a Super Bowl rematch, except it's Brady and Goff this time. Although, minus the Patriots, add the Bucs. Uh, this is a big game in the NFC for seeding, for positions. The Bucs need this game, mm-hmm. as do the Rams. Both teams very, very close to the top of their division, trying to fight to stay alive to see if they can take their divisions. Where do you think this No Drew Brees on the Ram. And suddenly no Drew Brees now for a couple weeks for the Saints. Sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a tough time figuring out the Rams this year. They're, they're obviously better than they were last year where things did not go as planned. Yet, I think at some point, the dynamic passing game that we had seen in the past would reveal itself again. It hasn't. And they've become more of a running team with a running back by committee. And maybe they just pivoted. They determined, look, we've tried that. That's not going to work for us anymore. Yeah, we, we rode that wave as far as we could, but now we've, we've got to view it through a different prism. And the results have been good. They're a good team. Are they a great team? No. Tampa Bay still can be a great team. I still believe that. But the variance has been wide for the Buccaneers. Uh, this, this, is a, this is a real uh, let's-see-where-you-are game. This is one of those measuring stick games that, that could tell a lot about the NFC moving forward. It's a big game for Jared Goff, too. It is. It is a big game for Goff. Um, you know, I, I tend to think the Buccaneers will figure it out, but I, I didn't like what I saw even early in the game last week before I left the hotel to go to my game, watching, waiting to see the Buccaneers. Now they get the Jones run late. We, we saw what happened. Uh, I think Tampa Bay is still the better of the two. Let's get to the last game um, we wanted to look at. Packers, Colts. Interesting game, especially considering where both teams are. A lot of people are looking at the Colts wondering, can they really uh, make this run and take this AFC South? And then the Packers, who everybody thinks look so good sometimes, and then, Mm -hmm. then they just play these games where you just scratch your head and Rodgers looks his age. Where did this game go? Just ask Jacksonville that. Yeah, Jacksonville had had a chance to win that game and 
obviously would have been the biggest upset of the NFL season. You know, Indianapolis is really interesting. Had them a couple of weeks ago against Baltimore. Uh, things just got away from them in that game. Last week, it was a little bit of a struggle. And then special teams goes their way. Uh, they turn that game around. And, and I think people jump back on the bandwagon. Uh, with Rodgers, I'm still riding with Green Bay. Uh, if you're asking me in this game, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with him. And certainly coming off a effort that will go down as a little bit spotty, just look at Rodgers and his record and his stats in games after games where the team didn't play that well. More often than not, he bounces back in a big way. And I think uh, Indianapolis, as resilient have, as they have been against tougher competition, I'm still not convinced that, that they're the real deal. They, they do it again against Green Bay, and now uh, we might put them in a different classification in the AFC. Definitely. We'll get you out of your eye on this last question. We're going to transition to the NBA. Brooklyn Nets, NBA season is just a month away. Can you believe it? Just mm. fresh off the NBA finals, and here we are turning it around in December. The Nets are going to be going into this coming season with a very different team. A new coaching staff, Steve Nash, Mike D'Antoni is an assistant coach. You bring in Ime Udoka. Possibly now news is beginning to swirl about James Harden coming to Brooklyn. He wants out of Houston. What will the Nets look like if you add James Harden to this mix <laughs> and Kyrie Irving? My goodness. Yeah, I mean, it looks like an all-star team. Uh, that's, that's what it looks like. Uh, look. The idea, anyone that has followed the Nets for an extended period of time, this will be my 27th year broadcasting games for wow. the Nets. Wow. Anybody that has been around this franchise for a long stretch, you would be hard-pressed to ever imagine in your life that the Nets would have become a destination for stars. It just never would have crossed your mind. They were always the team that was trying to convince somebody that was past their prime to come and will pay you a little more money if you're willing. And now it's a, a completely different feeling. Pl this is a player's league. We understand that. Uh, players are very empowered, and rightfully so. Uh, they, they are entities unto themselves, and they – equal dollar signs for their respective teams. I think this is a case where these three players have envisioned the possibility of playing together and what that could be like given the current climate in the NBA. And the fact that there's a chance to even do it is too hard to pass up if you're those guys trying to visualize what the next three years of their careers look like. And that's why it, it continues to have legs. Um, I think there's very much reality behind it. I don't believe this is media manipulated. This is real. And now whether or not they can actually work out a deal to make it happen remains to be seen. But as far as how it will look, it will certainly create a lot of anticipation in the New York area and around the league. And people will be paying attention to everything that the franchise does. When you have 
high profile players of that level of that caliber uh, in the NBA, that's catnip. People want to know what they're doing, how they're doing it. And they'll scrutinize and look and analyze every little thing that goes on every play on the court, et cetera. So could be something that uh, I would consider uh, the most interesting season potentially of my career covering the NBA, if indeed it all goes down. Should be very, very exciting. Uh, have a, we have quite a remainder of the NFL season to go and quite a exciting NBA season to look forward to. It will be a little shorter this year, 72 games instead of 82 games. So shaving off 10 games of the year. So this is going to be a very interesting run. Yep. I don't know if it's going to quite – I don't know if the NBA is going to quite do it the same way like they did last year with they had the bubble this past year with the playoffs. I don't know if they're going to have fans maybe in some limited degree. Who knows? Yeah. It's we don't still, know. Right today, we don't know. But it's a very uh, – but I like the avenue where we're heading. I like where things are going to be heading with next year. And yep. Love it. Ian, he is the voice of the Brooklyn Nets on the Yes Network. He is the lead play-by-play -play announcer on the NFL, on CBS. He also does radio for Monday Night Football. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, letting us know what's going on, and making me feel a little better about my Giants, except for <laughs> when you uh, told me that if they did win the, the NFC East, they might keep Gettleman. Things are I looking up. <laughs> Things are looking up, John. They are. Good luck, they guys. Are. Ian, thank you so thank much you, for Ian. coming on. We really appreciate it. All the best. My pleasure. We'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Talk Absolutely. to you again soon. All right. That was Ian Eagle. And he had a lot of stuff for us. And next week, hopefully, Ian, you'll tune in. Because you say you didn't know some of the answers around the uh, James Harden question. We might find out. We're going to see if we can get Patrick Creighton to come on and speak to us to find out a little bit about that James Harden situation but want to thank Ian for coming on and it's about time to wrap up the show so Beast where can they hear us? We are on 12 different websites yes I counted 12 a dozen wow. we're on Anchor, Spotify Raker, Radio Public Overcast, Pocket Cast Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts CastBox, Bullhorn we are on Podday and keynotes. Listen notes. Listen notes. Listen notes. Listen notes. 12 different if platforms. If you type in keynotes, you probably find us there too. <laughs> I can make a good keynote speaker. There we go. Listen notes. There we go. So listen notes. 12 different platforms, 12 different sites. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, rants and live episodes every single week. I want to thank our guests today, Brian Hoke, our Yankees insider. I want to thank Ian Eagle, the voice of the Brooklyn Nets and for the NFL and CBS. would like to thank Chris Delarge, our statistician, for our combo piece and top 10, our, and our researcher, Tony Mangle, and our entire downtown sports crew. But for the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, I'm the Beast of the East, John Perriente, saying goodbye. We're out.